Hi, you're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creative service providers on a mission to do the work they feel called to and make excellent money while they do it. This is a show for the writers, makers, dreamers, doers, creators, artists, the crazy ones, the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job. We believe in creating it. So what does creative success look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant life? How do we create the revenue we desire and hold space for our soul projects? That's precisely what we're here to talk about. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, award-winning screenwriter, conversion copywriter, former agency founder and CEO, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Welcome to Creators Making Money. Today, I have a super awesome guest that I'm so excited to get into it with. Uh, Tarzan Kay is with us today. Tarzan is a master of email marketing, a former copywriter for hire, and she specializes in fun to read, more addictive than Game of Thrones email copy. She also helps freelancers attract better clients who will reach deeper into their pockets to pay for top quality services, also using the power of email. In a previous life, Tarzan was a music major and like so many copywriters, did a three-year stint in law school and français. She found her way to the online space through blogging and social media. What's up overdue credit card bills and low paying clients? I think we can all identify with that. When T-Money's not in mob boss mode, she likes to take midday dunks in the pool, even at frigid temperatures, stage backyard episodes of Ultimate Beastmaster, and sing show tunes in the shower. She lives in Niagara with her partner and two kiddos. Tarzan, welcome to Creatives Making Money. So Jamie, hi. I think I pitched you to come on your podcast like a year ago, maybe a year and a half. Isn't this amazing? We're finally doing it. We are. I was on hiatus. I wasn't recording. So like, I am glad that it's finally well happening. Done. Good for you. Good for you. It might've been two years ago to be totally honest. That's very possible. Yeah. Listen, I'm excited that it's happening. It's a delight. It's always a delight to connect with you. So I'm, I'm so grateful and glad you're here. Agreed. Yeah. So to start us off, I want to really get into like the story of your copywriting business and kind of how that unfolded for mm. you. So my first question really is, how did you know that copywriting was for you? Well, it had the word writer in it. So that appealed <laughs> to me. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I did. I have known since I was about five years old that I was going to be a writer and um like I have it, I have it on like a homework assignment, you know, in my box of nostalgia. So I can't, I just fell upon copywriting about seven years ago when I was traveling in Australia and I was looking on Gumtree for jobs and someone was hiring a copywriter. In retrospect, it wasn't even a copywriting position. It was blogging and social media. And I got this job for like two days a week and I had no idea what I was doing and it was so bad and it was probably just a huge waste of money for the guy paying me. But, um, I, you know, I was like, okay, copywriting, that's a thing. Like, what is this? And when I left Australia, I was like, okay, maybe I could, maybe this is my thing. Maybe I'll be a copywriter. And I picked up a few clients, but I wasn't like serious about it at all. And I wasn't making it anywhere near enough to, you know, pay my bills. But Actually, I didn't have that many bills back then. You know, I was like in my late 20s and I didn't have a kids or a spouse and, you know, I could get by. I also lived, uh, you know, I lived cheaply. So 
but then my life got more serious. And when I did have a baby and I was like, okay, now I have to actually figure out how to make money. And so my husband, um, my husband volunteered to be a stay at home dad. And somehow he believed that I could support us, even though there was really no evidence to support that theory. Um, but so I started this business and that was five years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, I started sort of the traditional way I took B school and was like, oh, wow, online world. There's like all these people and they're, they're like selling courses and they're, there's like a whole community of people online. I had no idea. And I was so excited. And, um, right away in that first year, I started specializing in, um, emails and sales pages and I did that for a couple of years until I finally got up the courage to launch my own courses. And then, and the first ones were huge flops and that was okay. I kept going and here we are. Uh, I've been in business five years and the last couple of years I've transitioned out of working, writing copy for clients because what I most enjoy is writing copy for myself. I, and though now I actually have a copywriter on retainer, which is wonderful. Um, but it's still my favorite part of the job, the most important part of the job, I think. But now basically, you know, one, almost 99.9% of my business's revenue comes from selling courses. That's amazing. I love that. How did you decide to, to like take email and run with it in terms of what you specialized in? And how did that decision come to be? I think it was a little bit of fate. Like, I think it was my first year in business that um, copy hackers partnered with a few other people, including Rye Schwartz, who at the time was writing for Amy Porterfield. And they had this email copywriting competition. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I'll participate. And it was a three day thing. And at the end of day one, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, like, I'm going to actually try. On day two, I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to win this thing. And, uh, it was a three day thing and I did win. And, you know, at the time, this was like such a big deal. Like really in retrospect, like, I don't know, there were a few hundred people in the competition, maybe a few thousand watching it. I don't, I really have no idea, but in my head, this was enormous. This was such a big deal. And there were all these people that were like, oh, Tarzan is good at email. Like all of a sudden, all these people believed that I could do it. And someone gave me a prize. And I was like, okay, yeah, this could be my thing. I'm going to like try this out as my thing. And um, so I did get that early validation, which I think is really important. And um, I ran with it and discovered that email is something I really love. It's something that I have some talent for, but also because I really got into it and decided to love it and decided to really do it you know, I, I did a lot of experimentation and I learned a lot and, you know, I, people thought, you know, I got this award that made me look like an expert, but I did actually become an expert because I really dove into it and discovered that this is something that I really love. And I did it for clients and I, you know, I, like I've written literally thousands of emails. So that's actually why I'm so good at it. Cause I've written a lot and experimented. And I just, to me, I, I just like, I love that email really feels like it's really intimate and you know, it's this private space. It's just you and me, I'm in your inbox and um, you can hit reply and you can talk to me and you can be in my inbox. It's really different from social media where it's like, you know, the conversation can never be private. Like 
I just think it's so special. I just love everything about email and I want everyone to send tons of emails. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> In terms of, of the seven years ago to the five years ago, and then, you know, choosing email as, as like the thing to focus on and specialize in, do you remember or know how long it took you to hit your first six figures? Not yes. like from the beginning, yes. but like your first six figure year. Yes, totally. So I can tell you the exact numbers. So in my first, so pri- like, okay, there's, there's seven years ago when I figured out copywriting was a thing, but I really don't consider my business as having started until five years ago. So let's pretend that was year one, five years ago. In my first year in business, I made $60,000. And at the end of it, I joined this mastermind called the $200,000 mastermind or the $200,000 copywriter was what it was called. And um, I, the title really appealed to me because on my trajectory in my first year, I was like, okay, I'm doing good. I can see how I could earn a hundred thousand dollars. What I can't see though, like I can't see beyond that because at a hundred thousand at my current rate, I would be, you know, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be much time left. So I took that mastermind and, um, then in my second year in business, I earned $240,000. So, and it just continued to grow from there, but it's funny. I never had my first six figure year. I had a multiple six figure year which was amazing. And I'm so grateful. My business grew really, really fast, actually almost to the point that like, you know, that I think something people don't tell you about your, about revenue growth is like, um, actually growing at that speed is like, it's uncomfortable. Things are breaking. Like you don't have systems in place. You don't have like, you're not prepared for your taxes or your bookkeeping or like, you know, conversations like that I had to have with my spouse, like, you know, there's, there's like, it's wonderful and I recommend it completely. But, um, I do just want to say like, it, it feels like all marketing says like, I can make this amazing goal happen for you so much faster and it's going to be amazing. And I'm always like, but wait, 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 actually, this is a, this is like a journey and there's like stuff you have to learn along the way. And like a lot of growth comes through, like it comes from, from hard things comes from trying things and failing at things. So if you want that to go faster, it all also means there's going to be more like conflict and failure and like stuff coming up along the way. So in a way I fast tracked some of that, but it meant, but I still had to deal with all the same hard things. Yeah. If you could go back and do it any differently, is there anything you would change? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I I have, you know, I failed at so many things. Like I failed at so many things and that's always hard. And I, I've spent a lot of time laying under my desk and crying under my desk, but I mean, that's where, like, that's where we get the lessons. And I don't know, I don't, maybe there's another way, maybe there's another way, but if there is, I don't know it. And this way is okay. So no, I honestly can say I wouldn't change anything. Other than like, I would have, I definitely wish that I had started thinking about inclusion earlier because I really had to get, had, had to get a hard slap in the face before I woke up and was like, oh, not everyone is like 
35 year old white woman with a Christian background who's like slim and pretty. And, you know, like, I wish I had thought about that a little bit earlier, because I, I probably would have done less harm. And I'd be more advanced in that work. But again, like, you know, I learned through failure, I learned through doing the wrong thing and having to figure out what the right thing is. What is there? Is there any particular? Are there any highlight reel of failures that you think taught you your greatest lessons? Yeah, highlight reel of failures. That's a really great question. Well, my first big failure was my the first course that I launched, and um, I really had no idea about like reverse engineering numbers. Or maybe I had reverse engineered numbers and I didn't like the result. And I was like, oh, pish, I, this won't be my, this won't be how it works for me. Um, but the first time I launched a course, it was an email program and it, uh, I used like loosely Jeff Walker's three-part video formula. And I really had no idea what I was doing. I just was doing what I saw other people doing. I never took product launch formula. I just like, well, I could figure this out myself and I could figure out, okay, like you make three videos, you do like expiring bonuses. And, um, I did everything myself, including like, you know, staying up until midnight to like redirect a landing page and, you know, take this bonus away and add this bonus in. Um, and, uh, in the end I sold four spots, which you know, in retrospect for a thousand dollar course with a list of 750 people, like four is not so bad. It's fine. But I thought I was going to sell like a hundred. So I was so disappointed. I was so sad. I felt like such a failure, but a really important lesson that I took out of that. And I taught so many of my clients after is like, when it comes to launching a product, like the more bonuses you add, the more expiring this and appearing that like it, it adds like every new thing adds a layer of complexity. And if you try and take on all those layers of complexity all by yourself, like it will be so hard. It will be so hard. You will be staying up so late. It's almost like there's no amount of sales that will make it worthwhile because it's just so tiring and things break and you don't really have the skills to know how to fix it right away. So, um, you know, it was a really good lesson in simplifying, like simplifying my launches, adding more things as I was able to afford more support. And then also I changed my model. Like I don't really recommend anymore, like to launch a thousand dollar course as your first ever thing. Like after that, I switched to pre-selling. Like I'll do some sort of workshop, I'll sell this thing and then I'll make it. And I also switched to like lower cost stuff because I really felt like I could deliver on that. Um, so, oh gosh, there were so many lessons from that first launch. Like I was picking them apart for me for years. And also another thing I learned that was so positive because I was primarily a service provider back then. Um, I, and I was working with people who were launching, like the, the way that I could work with them and support them and strategize with them was like a hundred percent better after having done it myself. I had all this firsthand experience. I wasn't just passing some theory on to them. I was like, Oh, okay. 
I've done this. This is what happens if you do it like this. Yes, this works, but here's the cost. Like that firsthand experience actually is what kept me launching and getting better and not giving up right away. Yeah. I love that you touched on that. Cause my, what I was going to ask was like, how much do you see the work that you've done behind the scenes in other people's businesses versus your own launching? Like marinating you in terms of launch expertise, if that makes sense. Like, I'm curious, do you think one or the other is more powerful? Do they sort of play together? Yeah. Oh, they definitely play together. But here's the thing is like, until I started doing my own launches, I didn't really know how to get the lessons from my client launches. Like I didn't know what questions to ask. Like I didn't really understand like how to debrief a launch, like what things to measure, like even something as simple as like measuring your conversion rate. Well, people talk about conversion rates all day long, but you never really think like, okay, well, there's the conversion rate on your sales page to get to the checkout page. Then there's like the conversion rate of the checkout page. Like there's, and that, so then you can look at like your overall conversion rate of the people who signed up to the launch list. You can look at your overall conversion rate of your entire list. Like, like until you like try and uh, until I really sank my teeth into my own numbers, like I didn't know how to look at other clients numbers and interpret them. I didn't necessarily have anything to compare it to. So definitely it helped so much. I mean, the number one thing that helped me with client work was just the writing experience. Like I really think so much of writing and I wish like, especially cause I'm creating a copywriting course right now. I wish that there were like some shortcuts. I wish that people could just like take a course and be good at copywriting. But I really believe like it's a learned thing. It's like learning to play the piano. Like you wouldn't expect that you can watch a two or three hour program and be able to play piano. Like I took, you know, it's like taken me years of like learning to play piano. And I'm still, if I don't practice, like I'm not really good anymore. Like writing is the same thing. It just takes practice. I could not possibly agree more. Hey, if you're a copywriter looking to break the six-figure mark this year, applications for my program, Create Your Six-Figure Copywriting Business, are now open. This six-month accelerator will teach you the core foundations of my agency-style method for creative service providers so you can make the most money possible as a writer for hire. And no, you don't need to grow an agency to do it. You'll get the how-to, doable week-by-week action plan, and private coaching and mentorship from yours truly to get you there. Boost your sales game, up-level your work process, grow your client roster, and so much more. If you're curious to learn more, let's talk. I've opened up a few times in my calendar for quick chats just for this. Head to creativesmakingmoney.com slash chat to grab a time or go ahead and apply at thejamiejensen.com slash six-figure copywriter. What do you think at this point, like looking back, is the best decision you ever made for your business? Yeah, definitely hiring my VA and she's still with me today. She's not my VA, but I hired her as my VA in my first year of business and it was $500 a month for 10 hours, which felt like an enormous commitment. It felt so scary, Um, but she's still with me today. And now, like now I have employees. I tried to hire her as an employee. She turned me down. Um, but, uh, she manages like she, she's an online business manager 
but she legitimately manages my company. She manages my employees. She trains them. She finds new employees. Um, she's just an incredible person. Like I really lucked out finding her. Um, but that making that decision and sticking with her, like, it's just, there's, because we have so much experience working together, like there's just, oh my gosh, the value of that relationship is, is priceless. I love that. What do you think is the worst decision you ever made in your business? <laughs> I don't think it was a great decision to host a live event. Uh, like I was not ready for that to have like a hundred people. Like I just had no idea what I was taking on when I agreed to do that. And I don't like, I don't want to take back. I did it. And I did it. And I, I had, um, like I had a partner in that. So we shared the load and we got through it together. But when I think of, I'm like, what? it's like one of those things you take on. And like, if you knew what you were taking on, you would never say yes to it. And now that I know what we took on, I'm like, Oh God, I don't, I don't know if I would ever do that again. <laughs> Tell me, wait, what was this event? Cause like you're talking about it, but I actually didn't know that this happened. I don't think. Okay. So I hosted an event last year with my friend, Sage Polaris. We hosted an event in Niagara Falls and it was, um, like a two, I would almost call it a three day event, but, or more like two and a half days. And, um, you know, it was for online business owners and they traveled from all over. We sold, like we sold tickets for months and months ahead of time. And we had a few speakers who were local and we sold, um, I think it was an eight month. Yeah. Eight month mastermind program that we co-hosted together. And the event was called legendary. And, you know, I'm making it sound like it was awful, but we, it was like, people really liked that event. They, they, a lot of people got a lot out of it. So I'm proud of what we did. Uh, I just, it felt like I had to spend, like, it felt like the recovery time was like six months long. And when I think about like, you know, I'm, I think I'm more selective now about where I'm going to put my energy and like with like, okay, I'm going to do this new thing. What is the energetic output versus like, what is it going to give back to me, to my community, to everyone. And I, I, I really feel like that event took more than it gave. Yeah. Not just totally to me, but to, from everyone. Yeah. If there was like, uh, you know, one sort of nugget or takeaway for you with that experience, how would you define that? Um, one sort of nugget. Well, I mean, something that I, I haven't talked about, but this is a big part of it. And I mentioned it earlier. So going into this event, like we, we realized beforehand that our speakers were all white people as are we and that our guest mentors were seven out of eight white people our staff all white people and as i'm saying this like i it's not like an accusation against white people i'm a white person i'm a good person but you know it it was like we knew going into it and we sort of decided, I don't know what we, I don't know what we thought. Maybe we thought we, it would be okay, or we would do better next time. And, um, after that event, 
one of the attendees sent me like a long, very in-depth email, one of the hardest emails I've ever had to read. And she told me like about her experience as a Muslim woman. And she came there with her, some friends of hers in a mastermind she was in. And um, I just felt like, oh, I just, I felt so many things. It took a really long time to unpack. Uh, and, but mostly I felt ashamed that I, I, you know, hadn't done better. And I wished that I had a do over. I just wished for so many things. And I'm so grateful to that woman. Her name is Cyrus Siddiqui and she became a mentor to me actually. Um, so again, like the, all of these failures, like were some of the best lessons, like this person, I'm so grateful to her because she woke me up out of a 34 year slumber and showed me that there were a lot of things I wasn't thinking about that I really had to think about, uh, especially if I wanted to show up as a leader and lead someone like her. And so I'm so grateful for that experience, but I mean, like if you're not firmly rooted in your work around anti-racism and like undoing white supremacy, like you, you just, you can't be a leader. You cannot, you are not equipped to lead if you're not doing that work, unless for some reason you have decided that, you know, if you are, you know, if you are of a certain, you know, let's say I'm, I don't know if, you decide this is my identity and I'm only serving people with this identity, but that's not really what's happening online. It's like, it's more like I want to get the most subscribers possible and the most students possible. And I want to serve as many people as possible. So if that's your goal, well, you have to look at, you have to be able to look at difference and it's not just racial difference. It's also like uh, just recently uh, I started reading Lindy West if you haven't read Lindy West, like her books are incredible. And she also has, there's a Netflix show based on her books, which is called, her book's called Shrill. She has several, anyway. Um, but I also have been learning like about my fat bias. And I have like so much internalized anti-fatness. And I'm like, holy, whoa, like, oh, there's like this like snakes living inside me and I didn't even know. So you know, this is part of being a leader is like having like really being having the courage to look at that stuff and figure out how you're going to do better. And, you know, and talk about it when you make a mistake and tell your people how you're going to do better. So I guess that was the big lesson is like really. And this the lesson has come around so much in 2020, like particularly in June 2020, when all of a sudden, like all these people were like, oh, my God. I'm like, my business is like deeply raised. How many of us were just not equipped to lead and not really taking responsibility for the work that we have to do as leaders because so much of marketing is all about like, go fast, go fast, go fast. Here's how to get your first 10,000 subscribers. And like, but wait a second, like, are you ready to lead 10,000 people? Like there are, you know, there are 13,000 people that receive my newsletter. So like, I better be prepared. Like I better be knowing, like I better know what to do when there's like a lot of, there's like world events that need to be looked at or when there's like an industry-wide problem that needs to be talked about. Like if you're not ready, 
to talk to 13,000 people, well then like don't spend $13,000 buying all those subscribers <laughs> or maybe 50,000, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, well, first I want to say thank you for sharing all of that. Cause like, I, I know that you're speaking for, I know that you're speaking an experience that I think for, for white liberal women is very like true and real and mm. you know, it's a thing. And I also want to invite, I just want to like add this to what you're saying. It's, it's like, maybe you can have the subscribers and the leads, but be willing to be on the journey of, of learning how to yeah. do better and consistently doing better and understand that that's a deeply uncomfortable journey. Right. Totally. That it sounds yeah. like you are like on and you're just like, it's uncomfortable. We're doing it. Okay, great. What's next? How else can I do better and learn? <laughs> right. So yeah. Thank you for your work as a leader and for doing the work. Um, do you consider yourself a creative writer just out of curiosity? Definitely. hundred percent. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I'm just curious yeah. if that's an identity or title that you own. Um, I have another question for you about the copywriting business, which is like two things and they sort of get smushed together. Like the question really is, what do you believe was most responsible for the success you experienced, particularly in like your astronomical growth year? Um, and off of that, is there any advice you would give to newer copywriters who might be like on track to hit the 60 K or the 80 K or the 50 K year? Um, yeah. Well, you know, I know copywriters are really fearless about taking programs and I admire that so much. So that would have been my number one thing is like, yeah, I took a lot of training and I, I like, I wanted to have the confidence to really show up like an expert but I don't think it's about fake it till you make it. Like, I really don't, I don't want anybody, there's enough fake out there. Let's just be real. So, um, I guess I'll go, I'll, I'll go down that thread. What has served me the most in my business is, um, is like bravely showing up in the most real way that I know how to do. And of course we all wear masks from time to time, but, uh, and we have to learn how to show up and be vulnerable and be authentic because actually it's confusing. It's like, what does authenticity look like? What does it look like? If, Cause it doesn't really look like Instagram. Like it's not, it's not what it looks like. So, you know, sometimes like it, it, for me, it often meant if someone approached me about a project that I'd never done before, I would tell them. And I wouldn't put in a low quote because I'd never done it before. Like I wouldn't, I wasn't asking them to throw me some breadcrumbs, but I would say like, here's what I have done. And, uh, here's like, this would be a new project for me and this is what it would take. And, you know, let's figure this out together. So I always found clients really appreciated that a lot, but actually I do have one practical tip that I want what, that I want to share. This could be a good nugget. I remember in my first year in business, I had taken a copy hackers course and I was learning about voice of customer data. And I was learning about how important it is to do interviews. And this guy came to me about writing a sales page. And I told him that this would be what it would cost. It would be $2,500. And this would be my process. And I would like to do customer interviews. And, you know, that I didn't, it wasn't, sounds elaborate, but it was probably three sentences. This is the cost and these are the interviews and this is the number of people. And he came back to me and he said, he wanted me to know that 
he had that I was the most expensive quote that he had gotten. And he had spoken to quite a few people, uh, but he chose to say yes to me because I was the only person that mentioned interviewing his customers. And I took that with me for, a, you know, I just sort of kept that little nugget in my pocket because, um, you know, oftentimes when you're putting a quote out, you, you think like, well, they, they can't really afford to pay me to do this thing. Or if I do this thing, my quote will have to be higher. So I just won't include this thing. Like all the stuff you're learning about being a great copywriter, like you, you got to actually do it and you got to get paid to do it. So, um, that was a good lesson early on because also part of that lesson was like, it's, it's not a bad thing to be the highest quote that people get. In fact, they might choose you just for that particular reason. Yeah. I love that. What, what I'm hearing, and this is something that I talk about a lot is, is like your process is your value and like really owning the process and the way that you work to deliver the highest value is your value. And it has like, that is how a copywriter defines their value. Um, mm -hmm. it's a big piece of defining their value. So I love like for you, it was, it was, it, that's how it showed up. And it's, yeah, I mean, lucky him. <laughs> lucky him. Yeah. I mean, now that I am someone who hires copywriters, like, a, like their copywriter process, like that is so important to me. Like knowing that they will be able to function inside my own systems, you know, where it could just be like Asana, Slack, Google Docs, whatever. Um, but also like knowing how they write and like, like currently I have a copywriter who's on retainer. So even just when she laid out for me, like, okay, so um, this monthly retainer includes four days. I'm going to be working for you on Tuesdays. And like, technically you're paying for a day rate, but in between I'm going to be making edits and I will communicate this way. Like all those, like anything you can tell me about your process and what it's going to look like for us to work together, the less question marks, there's like less friction, which actually is what copywriting is all about. It's the same thing as a sales page. You're like reducing friction, trying to show them like how long are the modules, how, you know, how much time does it take? Like all those sorts of things. It's the same thing with a private client. Just like they want to know all those details. And a lot of people aren't giving that to them. So, you know, if I have to choose between someone who's a little bit cheaper, but I actually don't really have too many details about what the work will be like versus someone who costs more, but she has like, she's laid it all out for me exactly what I get and exactly what the dates are. It's like, I'm always going to pick the thing that has, that I feel like more solid about. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. I have two more questions for you. One is I like to call the $5 million question, which is if someone just dropped $5 million in your lap <laughs> and there was like no strings attached and like, you didn't have to ever pay it back. It's just like, here you go. No taxes. You can do whatever you want with this money. What do you choose to do with that money? I would buy land. I would just buy like some, a few forests. I actually just, um, my kids and I, like, I like to go on realtor.com to just look, you know, I I'm into that now. Uh, and I was looking yesterday and we found like a few, um, lots for sale. One of which was just 19 acres of trees. And I was like, okay, let's go see it. Let's go. So we, we went there, we found a driveway and we walked into the woods and I was like, oh man, 
I would just love this so much just to like buy this 20 acres of land and not even maybe do something with it someday, but just like I could preserve this island of trees. Like that would make me so proud. So um, I, and you know, I live in an area where there's a lot of development going on. And even on that drive to get to that forest, we, we drove by like this new subdivision of like houses that all look the same and they're all crammed together and they don't have any yards and there's no trees because they cut them all down to build the subdivision. And it just makes me so sad when I see that. And so I love the idea of owning a forest or several forests. And um, that's one thing. I, I really love what I'm doing. I already only work three days a week and I feel like I'm playing Monopoly. Like I, my, my work is like so fun. It's this, this game that we get to play every day in the last year. Like I feel so proud to offer these jobs to them. I feel so proud that I can offer job security, a job they can do from home. They can have flexible hours if they need to go work with their kids, school their kids for a little bit. So I like, I really, I'm not trying to like, I, like, I guess I would say if I had $5 million, like I'm not quitting my business. I really love it. And I want to create more jobs. I want to hire more people. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun. I'm having a good time. Yeah. I love that. Um, thank you so much for all of this. I adore you and I'm so grateful for this time. My final question is what's next for you? Like, I know you said you're cooking up a copywriting course. Yeah. Um, what is, what is next for Tarzan K? I'm so excited because for a long time, I've done a lot of affiliate offers and one of the, I wouldn't, these were like very, uh, low grade failures. But last year I had two affiliate promotions that really like, we didn't even hit 50% of our sales goal. And, um, I'm so grateful for those lessons because I decided at the end of 2020 that I'm no longer doing any affiliate promotions. And I can't even tell you, Jamie, the amount of energy I have put into promoting other people's programs. Like if I had put 50% of that energy into my own you know, I don't even know. Anyway, there's no point playing the what if game, but I'm very excited to be only focusing on my own products. And last year at the end, last quarter, at the end of 2020, um, my team and I created a new product called click the course launch copy kit, which is $27. And it's like amazing. Like, it's like, I'm so proud of this thing. It has all this training about how to do email. It has like sales page templates. It's like how we, how to work with a VA, how to set up your promo emails. Like it's like so fun. It's like this beautiful buffet of training. And I'm so proud to be able to offer it for $27. And um, so you can, I think you can find that at tarzank.com slash CLCK. I'll give, I'll get you a link for the show notes, but I'm so excited about that. And then right now I'm working on a copywriting course, which is something that my people have been asking me for basically since I won that email copywriting competition in 2016. And because I'm no longer working to promote other people's stuff, I now have time to make my own. And I'm so excited about this course. Like it's, it's like anti-copywriting. It's like, you know, it's like all the stuff that I had to unlearn about how to make sales is all in there. And uh, so that's coming in March and I'm so excited about it. Yay. I love that. (laughs) 
Tarzan, thank you so much. Is there any other place we should go to stalk you and like keep up, keep tabs on you? Is Instagram the best place so, you like to hang out or not so much because it's not I'm as authentic? Desk, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I love Instagram. <laughs> like I'm a sucker for all the same stuff everyone else is. Uh, so I hang out on Instagram three days a week when I'm working. Uh, so come join me there. I do answer my DMs, but also join my email list because my email list is my primary content channel. It's all in email. It's where I do my best work. And it's where the best conversations happen. So, um, you know, go to my website. There's many freebies. Or you can just join the list to get the emails, which is what I recommend. Love it. And you and I also chatted about Clubhouse too. So I'll go find you on there if we're not already connected. And a fun oh, place to yes, continue I'm, all kinds of conversations. I'm there too. Yay. <laughs> awesome. We will include all the links in the cool. show notes. Tarzan, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money. If you found value in this episode, please don't go anywhere before leaving a rating, review, and subscribing. Also, sharing how you connected with this episode really makes my day. So please, please, please tag me on Instagram at Jamie Lynn Jensen and let me know how this episode helped you. Also, our free Facebook community accepts new members every Monday. So if you're a writer entrepreneur, come join my write and make money community at creativesmakingmoney.com slash group. You can find all important links and details in this episode's show notes available at creativesmakingmoney.com. And as always, create like you mean it.